Please open your copy of the scriptures to Genesis chapter 12. Our text this morning is verses 10 through 20. Please give your attention to God's holy word. Beginning with verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Father, I ask that uh, you would be um, not only um, present, but give us your help as we have read your word. And now, as I seek to faithfully uh, proclaim it, I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, And most of all, hearts to believe your word that we might trust in you fully because you are fully faithful to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be patient in tribulation. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various into trials of various kinds. I think I misquoted Romans 12, verse 12. Be patient in tribulation. Uh, also, 1 Peter 4, verses 12-14 through 14 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And our Lord Jesus said that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, this is uh, easier said than done, right? Being patient in tribulation. Rejoicing in tribulation, rejoicing that you that you participate or share in Christ's sufferings, taking up your cross daily. 
losing your life for the sake of Christ, being Christians means that we will suffer trials. And trials are necessary. But rather than making you bitter, trials are designed to make you better. They are designed to make you holy. They are designed to help us let go of the world and trust God more passionately. They are designed to bring us nearer to God. Someone said, Our great teacher, in speaking of Jesus, uh, writes many a bright lesson on the blackboard of affliction. This means that trials are not something to be avoided at all costs. Charles Spurgeon said, In shunning a trial, we are seeking to avoid a blessing. So instead of, of, of shunning trials, we are to patiently endure them. We are even to rejoice while we're in the middle of experiencing a trial. But in saying this, in, in speaking of trials, in, in, in saying that they are necessary, let me also be clear. Trials and afflictions do not sanctify us. Just because you're going through a trial or an affliction doesn't mean that you are being sanctified. What makes a difference is the presence of God. It is the presence of God and how He uses trials in our lives that make trials beneficial. So, don't waste your trials. Don't waste the trials that God sends into your life by trying to avoid them or complaining your way through them, but rather entrust yourself to God. Because you can know, and you should know, that God is the author of trials and that He loves you very, very much. And that if He has sent a trial into your life, whether it be an affliction, whether it be persecution, whether it be some kind of, of, of sickness or, or hardship, God is the author of trials. And He sends them into your life because He loves you. He has a very good purpose that He desires to bring about in your life by these trials that He sends. God sent Abram a trial. He caused a severe drought to overtake the land of Canaan. Now, we don't know how much Abram understood at this time about God's sovereignty and power. But you know that God is all-powerful. You know uh, that God is the ruler of all nature. We just sang about it in the in fair, uh, fairest Lord Jesus. You know that God controls all circumstances precisely according to His will. And so I trust that you are better prepared than Abram to make better decisions than he did while he was in the midst of the trials that he endured. I trust that you will be able to make a, make a better decision than, than uh, what he did in the trial that he was faced with here in our text.
God sent a famine into the land. Trials come in all forms of, uh, in, well, in all forms and in all different um, levels of intensity. There's a wide range of trials that God sends our way. And this famine must have seemed especially severe. It must have seemed life-threatening for Abraham, uh, for him to leave the land of Canaan that God had, had specifically sent him to and had given to him. For him to leave the land of Canaan and go down to the land of Egypt, he must have been fearful for his life. And I'm sure that, uh, that we've all experienced trials from time to time that, humanly speaking, were beyond our ability to endure. Um, we've experienced these trials that have been so severe that we could do nothing but trust in God because that's all we were able to do. Trials that severe. But then there are other less severe trials that we endure. There are trials of sickness, trials of adversity, trials of depression, even trials of persecution. And there are also trials that are not uh, as easily recognized as trials. Trials of prosperity, trials of good health, trials of happiness, trials of being in favor with other people. These are trials because everything can be going so good in our lives that we're tempted to um, overlook God, tempted to forget just how much we really need Him. Um, given my druthers, I'd rather have the trials of prosperity, <laughs> the trials of good health and uh, happiness and favor with other peoples. Uh, and I'm sure, if you're honest with yourself, you'd probably rather have those kinds of trials as well. Um, but remember what James chapter 1, verses 9-11 through 11 says, let, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But God, I want the trial of riches. I don't want the trial of poverty and of bad health. I don't want the trial of persecution. God is the Good Shepherd. He sends you trials particularly prescribed for you and what you need. And so here's Abraham. He faced a trial of adversity, and what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. He left the land that God had promised to him, and he went to Egypt. There's no mention here in the text that he sought God's will, that he, that he paused to ask God, what do you want me to do? There's no mention of that at all. And then that's not all he did. Look at verses 11 through 13. And ladies, I want to apologize in advance. I know today is Mother's Day, and I know that we are taught that the whole day is dedicated to, to making mothers feel, feel special and to be pampered. 
Um, Abraham, here in our text, does not turn out to be um, a shining example of what a husband's supposed to be on Mother's Day. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were just about to enter Egypt when Abraham pulled the the caravan over to the side of the road to to use a little 21st century lingo. Uh, And then he gave his wife some instructions. Verses 11 through 13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, You are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now at this point, Sarah is about 65 years old, um, and apparently she was... Again, to put it in the, the modern vernacular, she was a knockout. She was a very beautiful woman, it says. Now, at this point, um, the lifespan of, of uh, the early patriarchs was about, it had been shortened considerably, but it was still about twice as long as our lifespan. So, um, Sarah might have been the. At 65, she might have been the equivalent of a lady in her early 30s. Now, I need to also say a word or two about Abraham's instructions because I don't think they're as bad as they seem. Evidently, uh, Abraham's plan was to have Sarah pose as his sister so that any suitors who wanted Sarah for their wife would have to go through the back and forth with Abraham in working out a, a bride price. And that's the way we see all the way through the Scriptures. That we'll see it with, um, with Laban and, um, and how uh, Abraham's servant uh, went back and forth with him on what the price would be for the bride. And so I think this is what Abraham was expecting, is that if an Egyptian wanted to marry Sarah, he would approach Abraham and give a price. Abraham would say, not enough, and they would go back and forth and uh, would give maybe Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to escape. Um, And uh, Abraham reasoned that this was only a half-lie because uh, Sarah really was his half-sister. But uh, Abraham did not count on Pharaoh becoming uh, interested in Sarah. And so you see in verse 15, When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. See, there wasn't this give and take. Pharaoh was Pharaoh. He was the ruler of the land. He saw Sarah. He saw that she was beautiful. And he took her to be in his harem. And um, because he was so happy with Sarah, then he treated Abraham very well. Now before you judge Abraham too harshly, remember how much we are like Abraham. Trials come into our lives 
then what do we do? We go into survival mode. We become very self-centered. We try and take control of our lives and our circumstances. Is there anyone guilty of doing that when a trial comes into your life? That's basically what Abraham had done. And now he is now his wife is in um, is in Pharaoh's household, part of his harem. What could Abraham do? <laughs> he couldn't storm the castle or whatever it was that Abra- that Pharaoh was living in. In fact, now the situation is far worse than when he was in Canaan and his and his family was having a hard time finding something to eat. Then let me give you some advice this morning. I can tell you from past experience that you are not going to be able to live up to your wife's expectations today. Her expectations are too high because it's Mother's Day. Uh, try with all your might and you're still going to blow it. So um, when you blow it later this afternoon, you can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Abraham. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, probably not the best advice I've given. I've probably I've, I've, I've just I've just blown Mother's Day right now. Anyway, uh, there was nothing that Abraham could do. But God stepped in and God took care of the circumstances. Please understand this. God could have stepped in at any point uh, along this process. He could have prevented the famine. He could have given Abraham and Sarah enough food so that they could stay in Canaan during the famine. He could have prevented the Egyptians from trying to take Sarah to be his wife. It's not that God was absent. In fact, God was in control of each of these circumstances along this process. So it's probably not accurate to say that God only stepped in after Sarah became a a part of Pharaoh's harem. God is with you in every trial. He knows what you are doing when He sends. He knows um, what He is doing when He sends trials your way. You can trust Him implicitly. You can trust Him no matter what. No matter the trial, no matter the intensity or severity of the trial. And even when you fail like Abraham, God will still be faithful to you. Human failure and sin cannot thwart God's promises. Just look at the circumstances related here in our passage. God had promised Abraham at the beginning of our chapter in verses 1 through 3, He he made all these promises to Abraham that, that He would bless Abraham, that He would make Abraham into a great nation, and that through Abraham all nations of the earth would be would be blessed. God had promised that Abraham would have numerous offspring, that he would be through his offspring, a blessing to many succeeding generations, even through the, the, the whole rest of the history of the world. But what if Abraham 
could not have gotten Sarah back from Pharaoh? What if Ab- what if if Pharaoh would have killed Abraham? You say, well, there's no chance that God would would have allowed uh, Pharaoh to keep Sarah, or for God to allow Abraham, or, or for, for for Pharaoh to kill Abraham. Well, that's exactly right. There is no chance that God will be unfaithful to His promises. The same is true for you and me. He will be faithful to you whenever you fall into various trials. How do I know that? Because God gave His only begotten Son for us. I mean, if God is going to withhold one promise, it would be that promise of giving His Son. But He gave His Son. He sent His Son to that awful cross. And Christ, in His faithfulness, went to that awful cross. And He became a curse for us, it says in Galatians chapter 3. So that in Him, we might be forgiven of our sins. That we might be justified before God. If He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up uh, so completely so willingly then you can know that He will be with you. Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. How will He not be faithful to you? Don't underestimate God's love for you. Don't underestimate His faithfulness to you when you're right in the middle of the trial. It's going to be tempting only to see that trial I want you to look above that trial. Look to God. Look to His love for you. Look to Christ who died for you and rose for you. And is not ashamed, as the book of Hebrews says, to call you His brother. Let's pray together. Father, as we are preparing our hearts now to... um, to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, to uh, join our hearts together, um, together with the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that You would um, remind us of just how faithful You are to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.